You're listening to Philippians, a Sunday school series taught by Andrew McComb at Maple City Baptist Church in Chatham, Ontario. For more information about Maple City, please visit us online at maplecitybaptistchurch.com. This is the last uh, week of our study in Philippians. Uh, It's seemingly gone very quickly, um, but we are going to be moving on to... Pastor, what are we... We're moving on to... uh, how to be transformed, change into his image. Okay, how to be transformed. Very good, very good. So you can, you can look forward to that for next week. Um, it's a beautiful day, I'm, I'm glad you're here. Uh, and without uh, further ado, let's get into the book of Philippians. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Philippians chapter 4. And we'll begin reading in verse 10. And we're going to read through to verse 23. We'll look at the last verses of Philippians here this morning. Verse 10 says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. For I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be, and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Notwithstanding ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God." But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. And all the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity this morning to uh, study the last few verses that we have uh, in the book of Philippians. Uh, What an amazing book, Lord. What a joyful book. Uh, And Lord, I pray that as we consider uh, our text this morning and as we consider the book of Philippians as a whole, um, that we would be moved to not only hear it, uh, but to do it, Lord. That we would change uh, patterns in our life. Lord, we thank you that pastor's following up next week with, with a how to change, and, and I pray that we would uh, just really consider that. Lord, be with us this morning. Allow us to understand the words of your sacred scripture. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The beginning of the Cultural Revolution in China is traced to May 16, 1966, when Mao issued a document that included indictments against his political foes. Later that year, the Communist Party issued the Decision Concerning the Great Proletarian Cultural Revolution, 
which outlined the chairman's goals of eliminating education and religion, the main threats to Mao Zedong thought. During the Cultural Revolution, places of worship were demolished, closed, or reappropriated, and religious practices were banned. In China at this time, you had an organized effort of the government to destroy religion, in this case, to destroy Christianity. And yet in this time and from that time forth, the number of Protestant Christians in China has grown from 1 million in 1949, the same year the Communist Party came to power, to more than 49 million in 2010. Experts believe that the number could more than triple over the next generation, and by 2030, the People's Republic of China, which still remains officially atheist, could have more churchgoers than the United States does. This morning, as we work our way through our passage, and as we consider the book of Philippians as a whole, we can be encouraged by the fact that no matter what happens to us, as we continue to proclaim the gospel message, we can take joy in the fact that nothing can stop it. What seemed overwhelmingly clear to me as I prepared this morning for uh, this text is that the passage demonstrates Paul's eternal perspective. Paul seemingly always had an eternal perspective on things, and I think it's something that we need to learn from. Just as the Lord is working in communist China, the Lord is also working in the small little details of our everyday life. When we consider the context of Paul's situation... He understood that he could trust the Lord in whatever situation he was in, whether he had a lot or whether he had a little. Grounded in this truth, we see Paul not caring about how he is going to get through the day, but rather he cares about glorifying God in all that he does and proclaiming his gospel. Our passage begins this morning with Paul making reference to a gift that was brought to him. As we studied earlier in the book of Philippians, this gift, of course, is the one that was brought by the hand of Epaphroditus. We learned back in the second chapter that Epaphroditus was sent with this financial gift and also with the intent of actually ministering to the needs of of Paul. Paul's response was to rejoice. Right? Seems like every week all we have continually talked about is, is Paul's need and Paul's want to rejoice in his circumstance. In fact, the word used here for rejoice is chiro, and it's used nine times in the book of Philippians. A similar word to the word rejoice that, that is, is used in the text is, is the word shara, and it's used an additional five times in this, in the book. You can get the sense as you read through Philippians, and certainly as we studied Philippians, that just the overwhelming theme of this book is joy, right? It's just Paul rejoicing. And again, the context of the situation is really important because we see Paul in just, from our standards, just a disastrous situation, right? He's in prison, he's afflicted, he's he's in need, and yet he just continually chooses to glorify God and to rejoice in what God has given him. I think that as we look at it from our perspective as, as Western Christians, um, I, th- I was thinking this week uh, as, as, I, as I kind of read through the text and I was thinking more and more about Paul's situation, it's like, man, Paul, could you just be a little bit more human in this, in this situation, right? I mean, you think of where he is, you think of his needs, you think of the fact that when you were in Roman prison that, that they didn't actually supply any of your basic needs for you. 
right? So I'm sure that there's some times that he's going hungry, he's thirsty, he's, he's in great need, and yet he's continually rejoicing. When we look at it, it's like, like, I think about how much I grumble in my life, and I read this, and it's like, Paul, can you please be a little bit more human? Like, just, just grumble a little bit, so maybe I feel a little bit better about myself, and yet you just continually see him rejoice, right? And as we learn later, it's not Paul doing this in his own strength, it's Paul being strengthened by Christ working working in him, right? That's the secret. Bernie? We have a standard to work towards. That's, what he's That's a good point. That's a good point. We can't yep. stay where we're at. Mm-hmm. We have to grow in our Christian walk every day. When troubles come, we yep. have to be overcomers. And we do that through prayer, prayer and perseverance. Yep. 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 Through reliance on Christ. Absolutely. Yeah. Think with me for a moment the impact that the rejoicing that Paul just continually poured out would have on those around him. Right. If you think back a few sessions, actually, we talked uh, specifically about that. Uh, if you remember in, in chapter 1, verse 12 and 13, Paul, Paul writes, But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. Right. Just the idea that these guards that were with Paul constantly... They couldn't help but see his life, see his circumstances, and see the fact that this man was choosing, despite his circumstances, to just be overjoyed in everything that he did. Right? It's infectious. Paul's, let me, let me tell you why I am so joyful all the time. It's because of Jesus and what he's done for me. And we start to see the gospel actually spread through not just a couple members of the Imperial Guard, it says through all of the, the palace, right? All of the, the Imperial Guard. What impact we would have on those around us if we would imitate Paul's exuberant joy in all circumstances, right? I mean, we have so much in our culture today, and yet, like we talked about last week, and I thought Bernie made a great point about you walk down the street and you just see people's body language, right? The majority of the people that you see are not smiling, they're actually looking quite like, like they're grumbling, right? They're, they're looking quite uh, uh, upset. That's kind of the, the base state that we, we see as we run into people. And yet, if we can be a people that are just continually overjoyed by the fact that Christ has saved us and he's doing this amazing work in us, people are going to take notice. And we're going to have more and more opportunities to share with people the joy that we have. And part yep. of it too is, it's easy to be joyful when things are going our way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When they're not going our way, Good point. Good point. Notice um, in verse 10 to who Paul rejoices in. Paul doesn't rejoice in the Philippian people for the gift that has been sent. Paul doesn't rejoice in the fact that he's just been fortunate that this gift has come upon him. Paul rejoices in the Lord. Paul always gave thanks to the Lord. In all circumstances, it was the Lord that had worked. Even though the Philippians sent the, the gift, the credit goes to his heavenly Father. He acknowledged that this blessing was from God and that all good things come from God. Consider what it says in James 1.17. It says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Right? All good things come from God. Right? Whether it's, it's being sent from somebody that, that is God that prompted them to, to do that. Paul? We could almost say that everything that is sent to us is good because God uses mm-hmm. and works all, all things to our good. So 
if he if he is using even the trouble to our good, yeah, then that's even a good gift from God. Yeah, good point. He's, he's transforming us. Yeah, so. even in times when it's really difficult for us to see that that's the case, right? Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. For Paul, there was never a moment where there was a divide between theology and everyday life. Right? He saw those as, as one and the same. Wherever he walked, he was never separated with that theology or with that biblical perspective. And I think far too many of us suffer from this divide taking place in our lives. We see life and everything, or we must see life, I should say, and everything in it through this lens of theology, through the lens of the Bible, right? That biblical perspective. As a child of God, how do I make a decision in this moment? How do I represent Christ in this particular situation? I may not want to hear the answer, but how does a child of God respond in this moment when this person is doing this to me, right? So no matter whatever situation we encounter ourselves, that can't be, we, we cannot ever take away that theology or that, that biblical perspective. I heard somebody describe it one time as, as um, that you're, you're actually, when you read the Bible and then you, you start to, to take that perspective and everything, it's like you're actually putting on a pair of glasses. That you now actually see everything that happens to you and everything that takes place around you differently because you're seeing it through that lens. And I think it's a really powerful analogy that, that Paul exemplifies in, in his life. Paul goes on in verse 10 to say that the Philippians' care of him hath flourished again. I think it should be noticed here that the Philippians never actually lost their concern for Paul, right? When we read that verse, it's like, well, were they caring for him? And then maybe they stopped for a while because something happened and then they, they picked that up. No, that there's, there's no evidence to suggest that, that, that their care was ever less for him. It was always there, but now they saw an opportunity to bless him again and they took it, right? This new opportunity came up. And they were more than willing to send both money and, and a servant to actually minister to him. Despite the fact that the Philippians had blessed him with the gift, the true cause of his rejoicing was not ever in the finance of, of the, the gift. Right? It was never actually in the money. We see Paul in verse 11 mentioned to the Philippians, I have learned to be content in whatever state that I am. Right? I think that's really encouraging for us. That it wasn't this thing that, that Paul, you know, as you, as you receive revelation from God, he wasn't just, okay, Paul, I'm going to give you this characteristic and you're going to be content in whatever you do because that's just who you are, right? No, he actually had to go through the process in his life of learning to be content. Bernie? In that day and age, did the, uh, the Romans provide three meals a day for you or did you need to have someone bring you food? In, in prison. Yeah, no, certainly. They, it wasn't like Canadian prison today. No, that you had to, you had to, somebody had to actually provide for you. Yes, that's right. That's right. Some means of, of actually, of actually making it for sure. Paul had learned to be content because he had really experienced both ends of the spectrum. Um, Paul was, uh, likely from a wealthy Jewish family, his upbringing, right? We don't know. It, it does, the Bible doesn't go into an incredible amount of detail about Paul's uh, upbringing from childhood, but there are a couple clues that I think we can we can use to suggest that that Paul was certainly, if if not filthy rich, he was he was well to do from a young age. Uh, in in our text, actually, in verse four twelve, Paul mentions that he knows how to abound, meaning he knows how to have much. Right, that's certainly that end of the spectrum. In Acts twenty two three, it indicates that Paul was trained at the foot of Gamaliel, 
which was a privilege which would have probably cost a significant amount of money. That was a prominent Jewish teacher at the time, and to actually be trained under him was, was something that most likely would have cost a lot of money. I think from these things that we can, we can certainly say that, that Paul did know how to have a lot. And yet Paul gave all of this up when he chose to follow Christ. And now he experiences the other end of the financial spectrum, right? He knows also to have a little. Um, just a, just a brief note, and I won't spend much time on this, but, um, as I consider, uh, the faith that we had, and as, as I consider people, um, and how they often question Christianity, the truths of Christianity, um, I think that there's such a strong apologetic note here that, that when you look at Paul's life, it doesn't in any way make sense that he would have gone from a position of extreme success, right? He was rising in the ranks of, of the Jews faster than anyone had in certainly a long time. He was well known. He was zealous. He was on the track to, to kind of have it made, so to speak. And yet when he encounters Christ on the road to Damascus, everything about his life changed, right? From a, from a human perspective, there was zero motivation on his part to ever make that change in any way. That it, it doesn't make sense unless Jesus Christ is real, unless Jesus Christ actually appeared to him on the road to Damascus. Carolyn? After all he had, he made this profound statement, I'm crucified to the world, and the world is crucified to me. That's quite a statement. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good point. After all he was given, yeah. but didn't mean anything to him. Yeah, you literally, it, like, he just completely 180s. Yeah, it's a beautiful picture. Again, if Paul can learn to be content, this is encouraging for us, isn't it? I think in, in, again, in our day and age, when we, we take this and we contextualize, we take this and, and apply it to our lives, we have so much, right? And a, a huge problem for us because we have so much and because we're used to so much, it's just this idea of contentment, right? And yet if Paul can learn to both have a lot and be content and to have a little and be content, Certainly there is hope for us that we can, through a lot of prayer and, and a lot of faith, that we can certainly learn to be content with, with what we have. In verse 12, we read that Paul knew what it meant to be abased or humbled. Now, as we just discussed, this can relate to financial means, but it also can relate to circumstance. And if anyone knew what it meant to be abased in circumstance, it was the Apostle Paul. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11, and we'll start reading in verse 23. We'll read these 10 verses, 23 to 33. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23. He says, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times I received forty stripes, save one. Thrice I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watching, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. 
beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is offended, and I burn not? If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things uh, which concern mine infirmities. The God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. In Damascus, the governor under Artius, the king kept the city of the Damascians with a garrison desirous to apprehend me. And through a window in a basket was I let down by the wall and escaped his hands. Right? What an amazing picture of the fact that Paul knew how to be abased. He knew how to be humbled. Right? And again, contrast that with the life that Paul lived before the road to Damascus. Right? Paul was happy to walk into a, a Jewish synagogue. He was happy to walk into the hands of these people that were trying to get him because nobody was advancing in that world like he was. And yet he's following or he's experiencing the humbled state that, that he now lives. Paul had experienced them both. And what he found was that in any circumstance, no matter what situation he found himself in, Paul could adjust and persevere in serving the Lord because... And turn to verse 13 of our text with me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, or which strengthens me. Possibly one of the misquoted, most misquoted verses in the whole Bible, is it not? Right? We hear this so often. We hear it in, in all walks of life. Um, I can get that promotion because it's Christ who strengthens me. I can score that goal in that big game because it's Christ who strengthens me. I can really just fill in the blank with what people use that verse for, right? I mean, it's, it's really everything. And yet, context is so important, is it not? In fact, I think every time somebody reads this verse and uses this verse, they should actually be mandated to read 2 Corinthians 11, 22-33 first, right? That you can't detach that experience that he has had in his life And the fact that he's now making this statement to the Philippians that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Not I can have all desires of my heart through Christ who strengthens me. Is that no matter what what, um, affliction I have in my life, I can adjust and I can persevere and I can do so because of and for the glory of God because it's Christ who strengthens me. And those two things can't be detached. It's really, really important. In verse 14, we see Paul demonstrate his ability as a people person. He was sensitive to the fact that the Philippians not consider him ungrateful for the way that he was responding to this gift that he had given, or they had given him. He's not saying thanks, but whenever situation in, whether you send money or don't send money, it really makes no difference because I'm content. Right? Do you see how if you actually read back through the passage, and you stop at verse 13 and you don't move on to verse 14, you could actually kind of get that, that vibe from Paul that he's saying, well, if you send money or you don't send money, it doesn't really matter because I'm content in whatever situation I am. But he doesn't stop there. You see him actually be sensitive to the fact that they might think that. He doesn't respond like this, and he thoroughly thanks the Philippians for their gift. Um, over the, the seven years of marriage that I've had with with my wife, and I see her get uncomfortable right now when I say that. Um, the one thing that I found over and over is that she's actually, usually she's pretty well always right whenever this comes up in, in our, our marriage. Um, I think actually our first fight as a married couple was over thank you cards to our, our wedding. 
Um, yeah, it was just, it was just, I had such a, a bad uh, attitude about it. And Stacy was being sensitive to all the people that had actually put in a ton of work and, and certainly given us a, a gift to kind of allow us to start our life out. And I just had the worst attitude uh, about it. Um, absolutely. Praise the Lord. Um, from a different angle of this, I've been reading through Proverbs recently, and when we consider the value of wisdom, right, that it's more valuable to us than, than any riches or than, than any precious stones that we can have. Um, and when we consider when we actually use wisdom in situations like this, right, in situations that aren't necessarily word-for-word word outlined for us in the Bible as to what we're supposed to do, that that's where wisdom comes in that we can actually make a decision that honors God by the way that we, we carry ourselves in that situation because we've, we've increased and we've gained in, in that wisdom and discernment that God's given us. And I think it's just such a good example here of Paul demonstrating what that looks like in, in a, a real-life situation, right? That he's not being uh, insensitive to, to what they have done. Uh, we're going to look actually a little bit further that the Philippians were, were actually not flush for cash themselves, that they were actually really struggling, and yet they still gave this gift to him. And although he's teaching this message about being content, he still wants to make sure that he's thankful for what they've given him, right? It's really important. In verse 15 and 16, Paul goes on to compliment them and thank them for their generosity. He mentions to them that they were the only church in the Macedonian area to support him in this way, to support them financially. They had supported him from the beginning of the gospel, as it says in 1516, or the beginning of the gospel work in Philippi, right? From that, those first few moments when, when Paul and um, Silas came upon them, uh, proclaimed the gospel to that group of, of devout women, uh, and that relationship began that they had always actually sought to support Paul in, in this way. Uh, if you look at verse 16, let's just read it really quick. He says, for even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again unto my necessity. Right? We see the, the picture here that they're, they're not just giving him this one-time gift, but that it's, it's a, like they're, they're giving him gifts multiple times. It's, it's a, a, a plural type thing. When we consider what actually happened to him in Thessalonica, right? when we read through the account of what happened to him when we went there, we read that he experienced fierce opposition from the unbelieving Jews, right? I mean, he experienced persecution in Philippi as well, but certainly the people there, when, when, they, um, when he went into Philippi, they received him. They were overjoyed that, that he could present this full picture of the gospel to them. And certainly we see some in Thessalonica that, that's, um, that hear and accept his message as well, but we also read of, of really fierce opposition from the Jews that were in Thessalonica. Now, the gift, one of the gifts that, that um, the Philippians gave to him, he received when he was there. And I just think when you actually consider the, like, place yourself in that situation, place yourself, he's experiencing this severe persecution or the severe opposition when he's in Thessalonica, and then for him to receive a gift from somebody that he had worked with and that he had brought to the knowledge and, and the, the saving knowledge of Christ, to receive that gift in that time of opposition and trial, what a joy that must have been to him, right? Again, it's just another clue or another um, point that, that shows you just how close that relationship was between the Philippian congregation and, and Paul. What a, what a joy it must have been to him. Let's turn to verse 17 and 18. Um, 
Paul is joyful that the Philippians had sent this gift. Again, when we consider um, the need the apostle had, it should be over. Uh, it should be obvious how overjoyed Paul was on the basis purely of just his his actual like human needs. Right? We talk about how Roman prison didn't offer or didn't provide any of his needs. So purely from getting a gift from that perspective, the fact that man, I I don't know how I'm going to eat tomorrow. Right? Like, I don't know how I'm going to make this work. I don't know what that's actually going to look like. Just purely from a human perspective, what a joy that must have been to, to get that gift. But that's not actually what we see or how we see Paul react or what we see Paul focus on. Paul instead shares that his joy is due to the fact that the Philippians have demonstrated their faith by actually working, right? In James, faith, faith and works, right? That the evidence of the joy that, or the evidence sort of the faith that the Philippians has is now being, that the fruit is being shown in the fact that they're, despite the fact that they're not flush for cash, they're sending this gift to him. Paul was so pleased with this gift because he knew that God was pleased with the Philippians for actually sending it. I think a couple of things are worth pondering here. Number one, what an example of how Paul lived with an eternal perspective, right? We think of Colossians 3 2. It's that, that you're to, to live or you're to set your minds on things above, not on things of this earth, right? That despite the fact that he was probably in desperate circumstance in this prison, he receives this gift and his first thought is not, yes, I can eat. His first thought is, thank you, Lord, for what this congregation has done for me. And I'm thankful for that because you're going to look to them and actually credit that to, to their account, as it, as it says in our text. Second point is that the verse provides scriptural basis that giving to meet the needs of those who do the Lord's work is an act of worship to the Lord. Right? That when we see somebody in need who is doing the Lord's work and we give our means to support them, that, that is an, that's an act of worship. In verse 18, Paul describes it as a sweet smell a sacrifice acceptable and well-pleasing to God. Um, I don't think we have time to get into it this morning, but if you go back to Leviticus, there's actually ties to uh, the fact that they would sacrifice animals and the sweet aroma that would come that, that would be a, a, a act of worship to God. Let's turn to verse 19. Read verse 19 with me. It says, But my God shall supply all your need according to the riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Oh, how often this verse is misused, right? We have a couple in our, our text today. In fact, I, I did some uh, research and I did some, I was actually quite interested to look this up this week. Uh, and I found that this verse is one of the most quoted verses by those who preach or subscribe to the prosperity gospel, right? Read with, it, read with me one more time and, and just from that perspective, look at this verse. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus, right? You can see how they just love, they love to hop on that one, right? I mean, you can have whatever you want according to the riches that, that God gives you in, in Christ Jesus. And Andrew, the worst part about that yep. is that they hold it to the, to the poorest of people. Mm. And the poorest of people fall for it because they are so desperate. They're hungry for that. In Zambia. And, um, you know, I thought... Africans, there's just no way people in need are going to take this software. It just doesn't work. Yeah. But it is more prevalent really? in the hungriest of areas because 
they are given a false hope. That they'll have, yeah. What little you have, you're, God's going to provide for it. Yeah. So they give and give and give. Yeah. And it doesn't work. Yeah. So then they think that Christianity doesn't work. So it, it's yeah. the false gospel. That's so dangerous. So yeah. insidious. It yeah. Is. Yeah, thanks. That's a great example. I um, I actually had never considered it with people that have that have little. Yeah, that's a really really good point. But they also miss the most important word in that verse, and that's need. Mm, yes. Yes. No, that's right. I actually have a fascinating exercise with my students every year when we consider okay, what's a need versus what's a want. Um, yeah, it's it's actually really interesting. Um, I could talk a lot more about that, but I'm not going to. <laughs> <laughs> it's just honestly it's it's you know what you know what a more a, uh, an even more fascinating exercise is uh is to consider or i i propose the idea that if um if something were to happen and all of the luxuries that we have in this life were taken away from them what would you do and for so many of them they can't actually fathom the idea of um like not having wi-fi and I'm not joking, like I'm serious, like that in their minds, that's okay, but I would, you know, I would still have my phone and I would still be able to get on the internet and I still have Wi-Fi and I would still be able to entertain myself that way. Like that actually is, it's, it's so prevalent in our culture that that is the way that, that, that is the way that's being thought. And that, that sounds bad, but I, to be honest, I don't think that they're having any, they're not intending bad in any way. That's just the reality of, of what we have. Steve? In the Great Depression in the 30s, the people lost everything overnight. They mm-hmm. From the skylines, killed themselves. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. nothing left. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I, mean, I just wondered, like, in verses 11 and 12, you know, where he says, I have learned to be content. I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry. Mm-hmm. Like, is that from him? He's learning that as a man? You know, like, is he somehow you know, his trials and, and, and as a man, he's able to learn these things because, mm-hmm. because other people can learn to, to be content in, in, in hard yeah. circumstances. So for sure, I wonder why he's saying that. Is that something that we should, you know, strive towards strive to, as, well, yeah. as, a moral, as a moral code for ourselves or is it, or is it external from, from the spirit, you know? So I, I, I do wonder about that. Yeah, and I think I think that's a good kind of train of, of thought to go on because I think that um, certainly Paul had experienced both, right? So he had experienced how to be content in both. And I think for a lot of us, or at least in, in my thought process, it's like, okay, well, if I'm going to learn to be content, I just need to like get rid of everything, yeah, and then exactly. and then and then I'll be content because I'll have so little, right? But that's not correct in any way either. God has blessed us with the place that we live in, and God's blessed us with the, the resources that we have. Um, and I think, despite having much, we can be learned to con- to be content with with what we have and how we actually utilize and allocate the resources that that we've been given. Bernie, do you have a thought on that one? Yeah, um, understand that if you haven't got a bump in the road this week, one's coming up. Yeah. And those are often involved personal relationships with other people. And yep. those are the most difficult to solve. Yep. And one of the best things you can do is pray unceasingly for those people. You can't change their perspective. Sometimes you can have a conversation with them, but you cannot change their heart. Mm-hmm. Only God's Spirit can. Mm-hmm. So understand, if you're not going through a bump in the road right now, one's coming up. Mm-hmm. That's a part of the hard mm-hmm. walk in this life. Yep. Um, God is loving that He allows 
hard things or the yeah. removal mm-hmm. of, of things that are luxuries, right? yep. so that we learn that. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. God will allow those things yep. in, in His belief. Agreed. Agreed. Paul. Yep. No, I agree. Heaven is sin, right? Yeah. Discontent. Yeah. So yeah. No, I agree with you though. I think yeah. it's it's not. I think it's it's yeah. talking. Paul, do you have a point? Yeah. Well, you know, the Bible talks about rich people. Mm-hmm. They ought to be generous. So so they're yeah. not they're not to give it all away. They're just to be generous. Yeah. And so from the heart, giving. Yeah. Um, doesn't mean they become poor. They're That's still right. Rich people. That's right. But they're to be generous. Yeah. In, in how they. Yeah. Give. Think of the example of um, uh, uh, J.C. Penney. I read one time about J.C. Penney, a Christian man started. J.C. Penney's a massive retailer in the United States. Uh, and when he first started his business and things were tight, he was tithing 10% and living off 90%. But by the time that he had, or essentially by the time that he was in around his, his death, uh, he was living off 10% and tithing 90%. But you're right, because when you consider what that 10% would have looked like, and probably... I'm quite certain that it was a lot more than what we bring in all the time, right? He was he was being generous with it, but he was still also living with what God had given him. Yeah, Tammy. Um, because one of the things that he mentioned was that is it something that we do, or is it something that God gives us? Mm-hmm. I think it's the benefit of having the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. inside of us. Yeah. That if we allow the Holy Spirit to do its work, mm-hmm. then in all situations, yeah, we can bring that. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Andrew, one more thing. I know you want to yep. finish. It doesn't matter. You don't have to worry about next week. Um, <laughs> but back to Daniel's point about, because Stacy made me say that. Um, <laughs> but back to Daniel's point about, we did have to learn this. Um, there's an attitude that we, because yep. some of the poorest people we know are materialistic. Yeah. It, it yeah. doesn't matter what you yeah. have. It's the right. attitude of what you have. Yep. And so here's Paul going from great wealth to learn that this is yep. not the most important thing in my life. That's right. And it goes both ways. Yeah. It doesn't matter how much or how little you have. It's that level of priority, right? right yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, so again, if we con- if we consider that verse 19 is is one that the prosperity gospel, they, they, they love to kind of harp on and, and focus on that one. That's not at all the picture of what Paul is talking about here, right? And I think that, that for all of us, that is, that is clear. If we look at the context of the situation, what is the reason that God is meeting the need of Philippians or will meet the need of the Philippians? It's because they had given what the, the little bit that they did have in order to support uh, Paul in the Lord's work. And because of this, Paul was confident that, that the Lord would meet their needs. As Paul considers the giving nature of the modest Philippians, he's brought to a point of emotion as he breaks out into doxology. In verse 20, he says, Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Uh, Hendrickson, in, in one of his commentaries, well observes, uh, well observes concerning Paul's expression in this verse. And he says, For Paul, doctrine is never a dry matter. Whenever it occupies his mind, it often fills his heart with praise. I think that's something important for us to consider, right? So often we can think of, of doctrine and, and just, just certain beliefs as, as something that, that is just in our head, but, but it's actually something that, that fills your heart as well when you realize how good and how gracious our God is. And now as Paul brings his letter to a close, he instructs the Philippians to greet every saint in Christ Jesus. He then goes on to tell the Philippians that all the saints salute them, chiefly 
those that are of Caesar's household. Now, according to A.T. Robertson, household included not members of the imperial family itself. There's actually no evidence to suggest that that is the case. But some connected with the imperial establishment. The term used here can apply to slaves and freedmen, or even to the highest functionaries within that, that household, within the, the, the people that actually worked for Caesar's household. In any case, as we step back and look at the book as a whole, we are confronted by the fact that even though Paul is in prison, the gospel message is still spreading throughout Rome. It's spreading throughout the whole imperial guard, as we read in chapter 1, and it's spreading throughout all of Caesar's household. Right? And when we consider the position of Rome to Christianity in the first century, doesn't that just make you smile? Right? When we consider the fact that, that, uh, that Rome was certainly not pro-Christian until much later, that they actually really hated the idea of this religion growing and taking prominence away from the glory of Rome, you just smile, don't you, that, that Paul, right, this, this poor Jewish man that had given everything for this person named Jesus Christ, comes to Rome, he's put in prison, and that he's just joyful, and, and just the, the message and the gospel of the Christian faith and of Jesus Christ, it just spreads. That there, there's nothing that can, can get in its way. You see, it doesn't matter where the gospel is proclaimed, whether it be in Chatham, or Rome, or in China, or even in the deepest reaches of the Islamic-held regions of the world. It does not matter where the gospel is proclaimed, there is not a force on this earth that can stop it. Let's consider verse 23 as we close our study of Philippians this morning. Paul says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And that's what it's all about, right? That's the gospel picture, is that the grace of Jesus Christ is the priority. And Paul lived and poured out his life to, to make that a reality. I will pray, and we will conclude our study on the book of Philippians. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. Um, oh God, we thank you for this book. Uh, we thank you for just how practical it is. Uh, Lord, it was written so long ago, and yet we can take so many of these little examples Uh, of what Paul communicated to this church in Philippi, and we can use them in our everyday lives, that we would be people that would read it, uh, that your your spirit would enlighten us as we read it, uh, and that it would really just affect change in our lives to the glory of Jesus Christ. Uh, God, I pray that we would read this book often. I pray that we would consider this book often, that we would meditate upon it, um, and that we would just see the beauty of Jesus Christ in every page. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.